Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, August 13th. We begin with a look at the return to school and the protocols in place for the safety of students. We hear from a professor of emerging viruses on just how important a role masks will play in the return. Next, we look at the political ramifications of Russia being first on the scene with a coronavirus vaccine. We speak with an expert on the history and culture of Russia, on what President Vladimir Putin stands to gain at home and internationally. Next, we take a look at U.S. politics and Tuesday's announcement that Senator Kamala Harris has been chosen as Joe Biden's running mate for the 2020 election. We get the thoughts of Dwayne Bratt, political scientist at Mount Royal University. And finally, it's the right day to celebrate being left-handed. August 13th is International Left-Handers Day. We speak with a psychologist on the many unique attributes left-handers possess and the many challenges they face living in a right-handed world. An early morning incident has 55th Avenue shut down between McLeod Trail and 2nd Street Southwest. There is also a police presence on McLeod Trail. Watch for officers on foot in the area. Southbound Crowchild Trail over top of Bow Trail. The left lane is closed until 5 o'clock this evening. At the moment, volume is very light through that area. And taking a look over at Deerfoot northbound, only a 15-minute drive from Cranston and Seton up to 17th Avenue. And southbound on Highway 2 out of Airdrie, 15 minutes from Yankee Valley Boulevard down to Memorial. Can't vacation? Then staycation. Visit the Subaru staycation sale for incredible rates from 0.5% and a lease bonus up to $1,000 on 2020 models. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Phil Jensen. Six oh nine on the morning news. Kids may find wearing masks uncomfortable, but if they're heading back to school, it's important to help them get used to them. Here to discuss the importance of masks in the classroom. So we're joined by Jason Kindrichuk, assistant professor in emerging viruses at the University of Manitoba. Good morning to you, Jason. Good morning. Well, this is uh, the topic at hand is, is certainly timely, uh, particularly when we're talking about well, less than three weeks from the start of the school year, no matter what that might look like. And uh, so uh, you're, you're, you want to really underscore the importance, but I want to kick this off with the uh, discussion that we've heard time and time again that the kids aren't affected the same way uh, with the COVID-19 virus uh, as, as adults are. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's funny, uh, you know, right, right when this, uh, you know, kind of broke out, uh, you know, in early January, when we started to look at it spread throughout China, um, you know, we, a lot of the data was suggesting that we saw, you know, severe disease only in, in seniors and people that had health complications, but kids looked like they were, you know, basically completely refractory to uh, to being infected or, or uh, at least developing symptoms of disease. And and I think we, we all kind of, you know, sighed, uh, you know, had a sigh of relief uh, about that. But then the story's changed a little bit. So but what we've seen recently, there was um, uh, some data that came out. It was published by uh, a paper through the CDC that looked at, at kids. And the hospitalization rates are about 20-fold less um, than, than what they are in adults. But what was interesting was that out of the kids that were hospitalized for COVID-19, a third of those kids ended up in the ICU. So yeah, we you know it looks like kids that the story still fits that they are less susceptible to to becoming infected, but when they do get infected, we actually see you know about about thirty three percent of those kids can end up in in the ICU. So the story isn't quite as as clear as uh, as what we had hoped it would be. 
Um, and, and that, I think, now has set off you know a few alarm bells about you know what do we really understand what the role is of, of kids in transmission of this disease and uh, and their own um, kind of patterns of disease when they get infected. And I guess the transmission is the other side. If nothing else, in the same reason they tell us to wear a mask to protect others, the kids could indeed bring it home to mom and dad or, uh, more importantly, and uh, perhaps uh, more severe, uh, to grandparents. Yeah, I mean, that that story has become, you know, uh, definitely a lot more complicated because trying to, you know, as as a virologist, as somebody who does this, you know, the one thing I can say is that it's not it's not easy just to be able to look at, you know, data and say, okay, well, this means that, you know, this part of the population transmits the virus. Um, what we know with kids is that, again, um, kids look like they get infected less, but when, when they do get infected, there's data now to say that in, in their respiratory tracts where this virus targets, they carry uh, at least as much virus uh, seemingly as what adults do. And in some cases, uh, in younger kids, maybe more. Now, we don't know what that means in terms of transmission. We can't say that that means that they transmit it more or they transmit it equally. Um, but it starts to give us a, a bit of a, a cautionary tale to say the virus, when it gets there, it's it's there. Um, so the likelihood is they can transmit. Um, we don't know to what extent. But I think we, we need to be somewhat cautious with that and, and understand that there there is you know a, a bit of smoke there. Of course, there are some inherent issues when you talk about kids. I have four children of my own and a, a couple of teens and uh, younger kids. The teens, they get it, but it might be a forgetful thing. But it is tough when they're younger. When you talk about those kids that might be in the younger grade set, to even get them to wear the masks on a consistent basis? Yeah, I mean, listen, we've, we've got a 22-month-old at home, and, and she unfortunately or unfortunately has the stubbornness of both my, my wife and myself. Um, you know, so trying to get her to do anything right now is, you know, we, we have to basically convince her it's her idea and then, uh, you know, and then she's golden with it. Um, it, it's not easy. And I think, you know, even for, for us and, and, and for, you know, myself as an individual, um, we are, you know, naturally forgetful at times and, and also kind of resistant, uh, to being told what to do, uh, to a certain extent with masks. Uh, you know, we, we are in a position right now that it, it isn't going to be the magic bullet for stopping transmission, but it, it likely plays a role in, in helping stop this on top of social distancing and on top of hygiene and all the you know, proper ventilation, all those other things that, that we need to be doing uh, properly. So I, I think, you know, we have a few weeks until, until school starts. I mean, this is the time uh, to, to try and kind of reinforce, um, you know, how, how to try and get get your kids to wear masks or become more comfortable with it. Um, but also, you know, to understand that, listen, in, in, in day after day, uh, it, it's like, a, you know, a year in COVID time um, with, with what we're learning. And, you know, we I really implore people to, you know, kind of be open to the fact that we are going to continue to see different data that comes out and we're going to get updates on on what this virus is doing. We're not trying to hold anything back. Um, I spent most of yesterday and last night in the lab working on the virus. It, it's complicated, and we are learning at, at a moment's notice what, what this thing is doing. So, you know, but please just kind of keep up to date with good, valid information. And, and we are trying to get it out to, to the folks just as quick as we can uh, identify it. And when it comes to the schools and the, and the kids wearing the masks, uh, are you talking about, you know, for that full six or seven hour day, or uh, would it be a case that uh, particularly in those high traffic areas, but not necessarily while sitting in a classroom that the kids should wear the masks to be effective? Well, 
you know, again, this gets back to where, you know, I, I rely on our, our public health officials uh, and our epidemiology folks to, to kind of guide us a little bit in, in where the understanding is on this. Um, we, we've seen some differing suggestions that in high traffic areas, um, you know, in, in places like public transport, that, uh, that, you know, they want to have kids wearing masks, but maybe in the classrooms where it's smaller and they can keep physical distancing, they, you know, they might actually be able to get away from doing that. It, it, it's tough right now. I don't think we have the full spectrum of data to say what is the, the right answer yet. The, the benefit, I think, for Canada, though, is that, and it, maybe it sounds bad, but we are learning from what's going on in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when, when we see uh, things that aren't necessarily working or things that are working, um, we still have time to integrate those things up here uh, before the, the school year starts. So kind of just like, a, you know, as a parent with the school-aged kids that uh, 10 days, two weeks before school starts, we start to wake them up earlier so they get used to it. You, you would suggest maybe starting small and, uh, you know, wear the mask for an hour a day or an, an outing here and there for the kids to get them used to it? Yeah, I think a lot of it right now is is reinforcing it. And to be fair, listen, when we go out uh, socially right now, I think there's there is a greater push now to be wearing masks yeah, yeah. and a greater reasoning for doing it. So, yeah, I, I think it, whatever you can do to reinforce it, please start to do it. Okay. Get it done, and now would be the time. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much. That is Jason Kindrichuk, Assistant Professor in Emerging Viruses at the University of Manitoba. 617, time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Life happens at hellowestdistrict.com. An early morning incident has 55th Avenue shut down between 2nd Street Southwest and McLeod Trail. Police also block the right lane on northbound McLeod Trail. There are also lots of officers on foot. Watch for that as you pass through the area. Just a reminder that also on McLeod Trail, just north of Heritage Drive, there is some ongoing bridge work. Lanes are closed in both directions. And construction is underway this morning. Southbound Crowchild Trail over top of Bow Trail. The left lane is closed until 5 o'clock this evening. Popeye's Hot Honey Chicken is here. Two pieces of Popeye's Chicken drizzled with spicy sweet hot honey sauce and served with a regular side and biscuit for just $6.99. For the 770 CHQR Traffic Helicopter, I'm Phil Jensen. Back in the U.S., back in the U.S., back in the U.S. is all. 8.49 on the morning news. Uh, Russia is now the first country to approve a coronavirus vaccine. The move is being met with skepticism and concern from the scientific community in Russia and across the globe. President Vladimir Putin, however, says the vaccine underwent the necessary tests and was shown to provide lasting immunity to the coronavirus, although Russian authorities have offered no proof to back up claims of safety or effectiveness. We're joined by John Colarusso, a Ph.D. professor, anthropology and linguistics and languages, McMaster University. Good morning to you, John. Uh, Good morning, Andrew. So uh, uh, being first, uh, you know, besides being able to say you were first, uh, what does uh, Putin and his government stand to gain at home and internationally with the, the, the first vaccine? Well, th- this would be sort of living proof of the ethic, efficiency and coherence and purpose of an authoritarian regime or authoritarian style of rule. Um, and it could be contrasted, say, with the, the utter chaos in the United States, which is a country of, of the individual, of freedom, um, 
where despite Donald Trump, authoritarianism is fundamentally alien. Mm -hmm. So it it is a building block in the effort on the part of Putin to show that his kind of government, the Russian kind of social uh, organization, is superior. I guess that would be with the assumption that the vaccine is indeed viable and and, and, and safe. Well, I think... I, I think there are a number of other uh, vaccines that are probably further in development than the Russian one. Uh, some are already in the stages of what they call phase three testing, which is where you're, you're running it off against 30,000 people or so, a huge number of people. <clears throat> and that really hasn't begun yet uh, in Russia. It probably won't until uh, next month. Um, so in a way, you know, there's this Russian vaccine, there's a bunch of other vaccines, but it's just simply that Putin has decided to declare the Russian vaccine is ready to go, um, which is a political choice rather than a scientific choice. How has he favored uh, in 2020? I know that, you know, how long has he been in office? It's been more than, more than a couple <laughs> of years. How is he looked upon as his pe- uh, by his people? Well, I think he's getting mixed reviews now, more so than he did in the past. It depends on a number of factors on how the Russians would view Putin. I think uh, urban dwellers, people in Moscow, people in St. Petersburg, uh, who were aiming for sort of middle-class comforts and and freedoms, would see, to some extent, a kind of loss uh, under Putin. Uh, People in a more rural setting, uh, farther uh, afield within Russia, uh, probably see him a little more favorably. Because Russia traditionally has always been vulnerable. Uh, it's a country without natural boundaries, and it's always suffered from invasions in its history. So the image of a powerful, strong leader um, protecting uh, the country is a vital uh, part of the Russian self-identity. And that's true whether you're you know, trying to get rich in Moscow or, or trying to just survive somewhere in Siberia. Um, so I, I think that at first he was a welcome antidote to the chaos of the Boris Yeltsin years. But you know, now it's clear in some ways that, uh, that Russia is not really going to thrive economically. I think Putin has made some crucial economic errors. And uh, I think there's a little more skepticism about um, his his effectiveness and uh, um, the future that, that he offers the country. So I think in this regard, he's latched on to the, um, the vaccine mm-hmm. as a crucial uh, element supporting his own, own prestige. Uh, it has a name. It's called uh, Gamma after Gamalia, uh, Nikolai Gamalia, the, the founder of this institute where it was made. Um, uh, GAM, uh, COVID, uh, VAC, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's called Sputnik 5 for short, <laughs> which I think gives a, says a lot about it, taking us back to the space race. Right fitting for sure. Thank you for your time this morning, John. Oh, you're welcome. That's John Colarusso, Ph.D., Professor of Anthropology and Linguistics and Languages from McMaster University. 8.42, normally in this uh, slot, we're joined by Danielle Smith, brought to you by River's Edge Villa Bungalows in Cochrane, featuring breathtaking views of the Rocky Mountains. All this week, she spends time at this slot with her friends in Edmonton at 6.30, Chad. So we're moving on and uh, joined by, now by Dwayne Bratt, political scientist from Mount Royal University, to talk about Kamala Harris, who was announced uh, to be Joe Biden's running mate for the 2020 election. 
So, uh, Dwayne, uh, glad to have you with us. And I'm wondering, if this was the worst kept secret in the world for the past f- several months. Kamala Harris's name has been circulating. So I'm wondering your thoughts. Uh, did he have any other choice? And uh, would there have been a better choice uh, for a running mate than Kamala Harris? Oh, I think there were other choices, but I think this was the, the best bet on a, on a whole number of different variables. I think one of the reasons that it got strung out is you know the uh, to, to increase the drama, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the uh, the postponement of the Democratic National Convention prior. Um, you you would make the announcement prior to the convention. Uh, the convention never occurred. Mm-hmm. They're doing things differently, and so it got delayed a bit more. But it did increase speculation. Did increase drama. All things that that benefit the Democrats. Let's talk about the fact that, you know, when they, when they say choose a running mate, uh, basically just like any good business, if you have a partner, you try to pick somebody who has strengths where you might have, might have weaknesses or might not be so strong. So uh, what is that uh, that Kamala brings to the table? I mean, typically um, vice presidential candidates, as much as we, we, we talk about the news when it happens, don't make much of a difference in the actual campaign. Um, there's only been a handful of ones uh, that have, um, you've got to go back to almost 1960 and the role of Lyndon Johnson and helping to carry Texas uh, for John Kennedy. Um, at the same time, the, the big item is don't screw up. Don't don't pick someone that's going to cause you problems. And I think that's what happened with John McCain's choosing of, of Sarah Palin. Mm-hmm. But this is a very different environment. And, and I think it's because of the, the age of Joe Biden at 77, there's a lot of questions about just how long, if he is elected, he will serve. Therefore, there's a lot more scrutiny being placed on the person that he appointed, which was the same thing with, with McCain. McCain was quite old as well. And so they said, you need to pick someone who is able to govern on day one if something were to happen to the president. That is clearly the case with Kamala Harris, who is a senator for California, former attorney general of California, did run for president, has been a district attorney. Like, there's a large historical record of governing with Kamala Harris that there was not the case with Sarah Palin, who'd been governor of a very small state for only a couple of years and been a small town mayor prior to that. And that's why that was one of the reasons there was so much backlash to the, to the Palin pick than what we're seeing with, with Harris. But the other is the demographic. A lot has been made the first African-American woman, the first Indian-American woman to be put on a presidential ticket. That deals with a lot of the Democratic base. She's not going to swing California. It doesn't matter who Joe Biden took. California is going Democrat. But it's dealing with these other base groups plus the ability of showing I can govern on day one. And that's why this appointment was historically important. Got about 30 seconds left, uh, Dwayne, but I want to talk about uh, her debating skills, uh, reading up on her. Sounds like she has some fairly deep skills in that arena, so it could make for some interesting uh, kind of must-watch uh, TV when it comes to these uh, televised Well, debates. and because we're not having the typical rallies mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, the, one, the, the handful of events, like the vice presidential debate, will get greater attention than they normally would. And one of the, the criticisms of, of Harris was her debate performance against Joe Biden and how effective she was against Joe Biden. And so that was one of the things that they argued was a weakness for her and why Biden would choose her. But that now will look like a strength when she goes up against uh, Vice President Pence.
Well, I guess we'll see. It's uh, November will come quickly, more quickly than we think. I, I, I would uh, uh, think. Thank you very much for your time, Dwayne. Okay, thanks, Edward. That is Dwayne Brad, political scientist with Mount Royal University. 847, it's helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Enjoy established amenities, recreation facilities, and the leading school districts. Emergency crews still have the right lane of northbound McLeod Trail, just north of 55th Avenue. There's also a heavy police presence in the area. 55th Avenue itself is shut down over to 2nd Street Southwest. There is some ongoing construction, southbound Crowchild Trail over top of Bow Trail. The left lane is closed until 5 o'clock this evening. There are some minor slowdowns in that area. And over in the southwest, northbound 14th Street at Heritage Drive, construction is underway. There's only a single left lane open. Delays of around 5 minutes start by 90th Avenue. Rush to your Subaru dealer for great rates starting from 0.5% of the Subaru staycation sale. Plus, enjoy a lease bonus of up to $1,000. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Phil Jensen. It's the right day to celebrate being left-handed. August 13th happens to be International Left-Handers Day. And here's a stat. If you happen to be left-handed, you are part of a fairly exclusive club. Did you know that left-handers make up only 11% of the world's population? To tell us more about the world of left-handers, we're joined by child education psychologist, author, and former UCLA associate clinical professor, Charlotte Resnick. Good morning to you, Charlotte. Good morning. So nice to be here. Uh, Great uh, that you could join us this morning. So I'm wondering, let's get this out of the way first and foremost, are you left-handed? Yes, I am. I must admit it. Proud lefty. So I'm I'm thinking that as you grew up and, and uh, made your way through your career, you didn't meet too many people that were left-handed. No, my brother was, and my dad tried to be, but then they hit him until he stopped using his left hand because lefties had a bad, bad rap for many years. Well, but no more. Yeah, we're going to get to that and we'll get to the, the family connection. But, uh, you know, right out the gate, I'm wondering if you can tell me what makes left-handers unique. Well, we're, besides the 11%, we see the world a little bit differently. Because we're left-handed, we're more connected to our right brain. Because the way our bodies work is the opposite side of the body is controlled by, you know, the other side of the brain. So left-handers are more dominant in the right brain. And when we, the research shows it's not perfect, it's not all the time, but basically the right brain controls more creativity, more intuition, more imagination, and more of the art. The creative edge, that's one thing, but there are some challenges. So so we see the world a little bit differently, and the challenges are many, because when you think about it, I'm guessing you're right-handed. Yes, I am, yep. When you think about it, the world is meant for right-handed people. Think about opening doors. It's really meant to use your right hand and open the door. Can openers, measuring cups. Writing is a big issue because left-handers write, you know, use the pen from left to right, and often their ink kind of messes up the side of their hand. Or when there are binders, especially spiral binders, they get interfere with our writing. It's just we have to adjust all the time to a world that's not meant for us. But the good news on that side is we become more flexible. In fact, there's research at Oxford, new research, and one of the things they found in brain scans is that the part of our brain, the callosum, 
that connects the right and the left side of the brain is thicker, meaning it's easier for us to use both sides of the brain. So that is helpful in the long run. You mentioned your dad, and I want to delve into that because I'd heard that uh, years and years ago, not only was it discouraged to be left-handed, they tried to untrain people from using their left hand. Yes, it was really hard because there seems to be, maybe they felt it was more learning disabilities, more uh, emotional uh, disabilities, and they thought in their thinking back then was that if they made people right-handed, then these problems wouldn't emerge. When actually it made things worse, like uh, the king from King's Speech, who stuttered a lot, yeah. he was actually left-handed, and they made him change. And around the time they made him change, seven or eight is when he started stuttering. Wow. Um, that happened to my dad, too. So you don't want to mess with whatever hand the child prefers, <laughs> because that will create more problems. Let the natural happen. Now, as, as far as where it comes from, you mentioned that, you know, in your family there's two. And, and in my family, interestingly enough, all grandparents and uh, parents are right-handed, but uh, I have four children, two of which are left-handed. So uh, uh-huh. I, I'm wondering where it comes from. Well, there's a genetic link, and the people at Oxford definitely found a genetic link. But throughout history, we know it's the same amount. It's always between 10 and 12 percent of people that are left-handed. And so um, over time, we'll find out more and more specific. They found specific genes that make a difference. So it's likely that people in your family were left-handed but were made to switch in the past. And so you don't know about it. Maybe it's a grandpa. Maybe it's a grandma. Maybe it's a great-grandma. But it was suppressed. Let's uh, talk about the company that left-handers keep, and there are some familiar names that people listening might recognize. Oh, absolutely. There's so many. Lady Gaga, Paul McCartney, uh, Barack Obama, President Clinton, Prince William, uh, Babe Ruth, Albert Einstein, uh, in the old days, Da Vinci and Michelangelo, Oprah Winfrey, Neil Armstrong, who walked on the moon. Just many, many amazing, talented iconic figures incredible thank you so much for enlightening us Uh, we appreciate it and happy international left handers day to you charlotte thank you so much and to all those lefties out there good stuff that is charlotte resnick child education psychologist author and former ucla associate clinical professor you can find more about her and her writing at imageryforkids.com Time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Main Street's highlight 20-foot sidewalks and integrated bike paths. There's an incident northbound Deerfoot by 32nd Avenue. Emergency crews are on scene off to the left shoulder, causing a bit of a slowdown in traffic. Down in the southwest, 55th Avenue is shut down between McLeod Trail and 2nd Street. There is also a closure on 2nd Street and 3rd Street between 55th Avenue and 57th Avenue. There is also a police presence on McLeod Trail. Expect delays through the area. Popeye's Hot Honey Chicken is here. Two pieces of Popeye's Chicken. Hot Honey Sauce served with the red. 699. From the 770 CHQR Traffic Helicopter, I'm Phil Jensen. 